you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys or you've struggled with unreliable not so dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat out disappointed you i've been there those problems literally birthed exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They can quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. If they wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident to love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. If you don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets, and they start at just $179 plus your 15% off there. You use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced the Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now let's talk about Osseo gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com get you some premium hunting clothing. Got a talk to you about stealth outdoors makers of stealth strips stealth strips really are a, a product that any hunter whether you're a weekend warrior or a guy that hunts almost every day really needs to take advantage of stuff absolutely deadens your your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise free you haven't checked out stealth strips yet Stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff. Get Stealth Strips. Visit StealthOutdoors.com. Pick you up some Stealth Strips. All my partners are linked in the description below. Go check them out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, familiar faces back tonight. Where? <laughs> I see you change your background. You put like some flowers in the background. What is that going on? Just, back uh, just a camera got turned. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, 
I thought maybe so, you I think got actually faked them as Carol's got back there for something. I think she had to put them in here because the cats were eating them. <laughs> I thought maybe you doctored up your background to make it look nice, put, put you a picture or something back there. Uh, uh, how's things been going? Good, good, real good. Just bored and silly. I know, me too. Maddie mentioned the other day, she's like, you just seem off. And I'm like, I got to thinking, I'm like, ah, it's, I'm not been hunting and outside it's got real cold there i didn't do anything outside and i'm like i just need to go in the woods for a while probably yeah i'm seeing a lot of big bucks you know what i had some show up i i, I for a while there i was not getting anything on camera and then um the last couple of days i'm starting to get bucks again on camera mm-hmm. so i don't know One don't shed already. yeah i can't can't hunt them but have you seen seen some shed bucks? Buck yeah, right. Have you have you uh, been seeing some shed bucks? Yeah, one. one I haven't seen any yet here. They may maybe some around, but I haven't noticed any. Um, at least on the cameras I got out, I haven't noticed any. We typically got deer shedding already in like uh, early December. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, but I see them every year like that. Uh, yeah, I, I remember. Uh, Dave shooting one uh, um, late season, late gun season. There was a he thought he shot a big doe. It was a big buck with no horns. And yeah, got one one year. Same, same Dave again, but uh, shot one when it hit the ground. The antlers popped off. Yeah, I think I I remember that video. I think don't you guys didn't you video that? Yeah, we got we don't have the shot on film, but yeah, we have that on video. Yeah, I think I I think I may have made it into a short or something. Yeah, probably. Um, but anyway, before we get started, everybody, there is a, uh, if you want to leave a question, just leave them in the comments, like always, and we'll, we'll try to get to them tonight. And I have to show you guys one more thing that my wife, Maddie's been working on. She is wanting to be a little more involved with what I'm, we're doing here. And she designed some shirts for everyone. So I was going to share my screen here just real quick, maybe. So I think you can see that, but she made a couple of shirts. One of them is a, says scout, hunt, kill, cut, eat, repeat. Um, and one is a, it just says meat hunter on it. And then she made this one too, packing heat and eating meat. So the link to those shirts are below. If you guys want to check them out. They're uh, brand new. We just put them on just a little bit ago. Look good, Maddie. Yeah, she did a good job on them. She's real artsy like that, though. She liked the design thing. She kept asking me, like, what do you what do you think about this? And she's just, like, talking to me about it. I'm like, I can't picture that kind of thing. You have to put it on the paper for me. But it turned, they turned out good. Um, yeah. Let's talk about public land hunting, Dan, because I have a feeling we could talk about this for a while. <laughs> have you noticed this year more people around uh than the past whatever several years yeah i have too there, there's been um specifically here in indiana usually indiana for the most part has been a pretty low pressure state but this year there was a lot of people around on public land a lot of people traveling farther like i've just noticed people from 
I don't know, just random cities that don't, I don't typically see people from. Um, I just had someone message me before the show here that was hunting in the same area I hunted at and he was from a different town. Uh, and there's a, there is getting to be a persona on public land about it getting to be, remember how back in the day it was always impossible to kill deer on public land. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it feels a little bit like, mm-hmm. yeah, it feels a little bit like that's coming around again. We had a stretch there where the public land was good. And now it's like, everybody's like, ah, there's too many people and it's a mess. Well, the way I understand it, you and me both ruined it for everybody. The whole world yeah. ruined it for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think about that a lot. Like, so that's such a hard, hard thing because I mean, we didn't do that on purpose, right? Like it's, no, it's, it's a trending thing. I mean, it's just, you, you know, people, um, I see this with like tactics. You, you hear a tactic that's wrong. And if the right person says it, it just goes like wildfire. Like this, this is it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with this. I mean, um, I don't think all these people are making it any harder to kill a big buck. Honestly, I do think you got to work a little harder, but I think it's great. All these people out there. I think, uh, the, the best part about it is, um, they've all got a new attitude and, and kind of, it's a more educated hunter where it used to be the public land hunter shot everything they saw and the stupid animals all died and you had a hard time growing big ones. Now there's a lot more big deer and big bucks because they're all passing deer. They're waiting for the right deer. Yeah. Um, the, you, you know, I'm seeing around my place, I'm seeing a, a real upswing in non-resident hunters coming in where I never had that ever, you know, yeah. and now they're coming yeah. like crazy. And you, you know, um, I'm hoping that I had something to do with that. I love seeing more people hunt. I love seeing more people travel, get into it. It's way better than sitting in a bar, or, you know, um, doing things that are, are non-productive. I think, uh, you, you know, people who hunt and fish camp and, uh, you know, spend time in the outdoors are just all around better people. And that's always been my goal to make people better hunters and hunters, better people. That's been the goal from the beginning. And if I'm putting more people in hunting, I'm, I'm actually proud of that. And, you know, that takes some people off. I think they're misguided, but that's okay. They can get all the tick they want they just go someplace else yeah yep and i um you know a specific state ohio a lot of people were complaining about ohio this year that it got just pounded and um i don't know it it seemed like there was not as you know not any more people than there usually is there for, for me at least in the area i hunt and it does seem like no matter what, no matter what would happen, there could be void of people on public land and deer hunters will make some type of an excuse as to like, there's something wrong right now that I'm not going to be able to kill a buck here because yeah. of whatever. If it wasn't people, it'd be, you know, the wind swirled or the, you know, it'd be something. I mean, how many times do you people say, you hear people say something like, well, you couldn't do that in my state. You couldn't do that where I live. It's like an excuse because they're not, mm-hmm. they're not achieving their goals. So it's like, no, it's because where you're at or it's because, you know, because of this factory. It's because I'm not in Iowa or, you know, you know what I mean? But you can, yeah. you can literally kill big bucks just about anywhere, you know, at least for regionally. It doesn't mean every area grows them as big as other areas, but, and it doesn't mean that they're managed correctly, but there's literally big bucks, you, you know, bigger than your neighbors are shooting mm-hmm. around everybody's place and everybody can hunt better animals than in the area than their neighbors are. Yeah. I mean, I that's a, 
that you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, people that are better hunters, more, more better hunters are out in the woods, passing up, you know, deer and making things better. That's, that's another, uh, topic that gets brought up is like the cell camera thing. A lot of, a lot of people will argue that cell cameras are good in that manner too, where people know what's in the area and they may not shoot something because they got this 150 on camera that they know about and you know, whatever you want to argue either way with the cell cameras, but that is like another point that people make with cell cameras and it's probably some truth to it, you know? Um, and it also, I think cell cameras also a lot of times me and you've talked about this a hundred times on here, but people get so dependent on those cell cameras. And a lot of times those big mature deer, you know, keep, keep a void of those cell cameras. And, um, it probably keeps some people out of the woods, you know, whereas if, if they didn't have a cell camera in there, they may, they may jump in there and hunt or something, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of states going away from uh, the cell camera thing, or you keep hearing more and more states pop up this, this I, winter. I heard something from that lady that got that uh, that 195-inch buck that everybody's making such a big deal out of from Wisconsin. It yeah. really ain't that big of a buck. I mean, people shoot 200 inches around here every year. Yeah. So, but yeah, that, weird. Reason, that one's getting a lot of popularity. But uh, she... Uh, she made the comment that uh, all the cameras they had out, they only had one picture in August or something, something to that degree. Yeah. And then they didn't get another picture until November when they killed it. I wonder if she was hunting cell cams, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. I think I saw that. Now that you say that, you told that story. I think I remember seeing that deer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I said. I said on here the other day, like, I had a buddy that got into deer hunting, deer, got into bow hunting, and... One of the first thing he asked me, like we were getting him a bow and got him, you know, a stand and sticks and all this stuff. And then the, like the, he's like, what cell camera should I buy? I'm like, well, let's, let's just learn some things first before we start putting cell cameras out everywhere, you know? Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a trend right now. Yeah. Um, all right. Now there, there is, it, it does seem like there's more people in the woods anymore. Um, at least on public land in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk to you about just what you did this year to that big giant buck you killed on uh, the public in Wisconsin. Um, I guess kind of the method of your madness on that deer and kind of the type of area it was in and, and how you kind of avoided pressure. Cause I'm sure there was pressure on that piece of ground you were hunting. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. That, that buck, um, for once I didn't know it existed. I just knew that it was a good area that held big bucks and that when pressure came onto the land, the deer would go into one certain area. And I had luck there last year. That's right. It's real close to the spot where I spine shot that buck last year. And if you, and if you follow the videos, which some people probably that are listening do, and some probably don't, um, I went in there and uh, scouted my way in uh, two seasons ago and found a tree and it was a buckthorn tree that was, where nobody else could hunt down in there because it is buckthorn, right? But there's trail networks everywhere, and it was near bedding, and I just thought it would be good. So I got the stand four feet off the ground, got in a tree, had a nice buck come through, hit him in the spine, and the arrow didn't break the spine. The arrow blew up and uh, did not recover that deer. So in spring, when I went in there, and what I usually do when I uh, when I get an opportunity um, or I see something, you know, anytime I see a big buck come from anywhere, whether it's killed or not, 
I want to know where it came from. I want to know why it was there. I want to answer all the questions. So I'll go back in spring and follow those trails back, see exactly where the bedding was. I already kind of knew the bedding, but I wanted to know it intimately. And I wanted to see if there's a better setup that was closer, you know, because I had scouted my way in. And when you scout in on in hunting and you haven't spring scouted, you're guessing how close you can get. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking maybe I can get closer. So I got in there and I, I found an area that was a little more open, a little more green and lush. And uh, I thought it was closer to where the deer were, but there wasn't a lot of sign. But I knew that the deer I seen from the other position all came from there. You know, came through there from the bedding. So I picked out a tree and just moved on. And um, this year when I was down in Iowa, I shot a monster buck. It was bigger than the, the one we're talking about and didn't recover it. And it really just, it deflated me. And I ended up coming back a little early and just working on my bow and, and stuff and just getting my head straight. And then when I got back within a couple of days, I went out here. And just decided to give that spot a shot. Went in there and, you know, there wasn't no sign. The trails were all dried up. There was no browse. And there was the parking lot was packed with people. For such a small property, there was a large number of people on it. And when you take yeah. the number of people that were on it and you divide it by the number of acres, there's a lot of people there. So um, I got back to where I was and didn't like the sign, didn't like any part of it. But if there's anything I've learned over the years... It's that the biggest bucks I've shot have come from spots like that. It's like you don't see a ton of sign in those near those bedding areas. It's like that buck's got that area, you know, wrapped up kind of thing. And uh, anyways, I wasn't there long. He came out and I shot him. Um, and one of the key takeaways to that is that I was hunting a spot that didn't glow. It had everything a big buck needed, and I knew about the bedding, but it's not the kind of spot that's going to attract all that pressure. And... Uh, you know, if what everybody's saying is true about all this pressure killing every big buck on public land, I don't know how I ever killed a buck, you know, or kill any of the ones I killed. It actually seems to me that properties like that, if you if you have big bucks that are there, the pressure puts them where they belong and they're easier to kill. They're easier for me to kill because I know the property intimately because I do my homework. And I can guarantee you... Um, all these people that were educating don't do the homework as much as I do. And it really becomes work ethic. How much are you willing to work to get that buck? You know, and how much effort you're willing to put in and time you put willing to put in and how much are you willing to put into figuring out what the other hunters are doing and what they're missing? You, you know, and that's really what it takes. Yeah. So you, you've been hunting public your whole life, Dan. Um, I didn't grow up hunting public. Like we, we hunted a little, you know, here and there, but not, not hard. Like I, I do now. Um, how much easier was it back 20 years ago to hunt on public land than it is today? Like, is it easier or is that just something that is, has it always been tough? Well, 20 years ago, it was easier. Okay. 40 years ago, it wasn't. Hmm. People that are complaining about pressure now should have seen it 40 years ago. Really? So I've been, I've been alive long enough to see the trends. Now, when I came into hunting, everybody hunted, everybody. And they were spread out everywhere. I mean, public land was crowded like crazy, especially mm -hmm. gun season. Gun season, there's just orange people everywhere. And, and really when I was young, I mean, they killed most deer before they, you know, ever shed an antler. I mean, finding a shed was something really, really rare. 
yeah. You know, after the hunting season, there wasn't much for bucks left. So you're hunting year and a half old bucks. And and if you wanted to get something special, a two-year-old would be something special, or you got a nice eight point or maybe a nine or a ten that's smaller, but it's a two-year-old, you know, and uh as we got into like the eighties, bucks started growing and getting older and, and stuff, and we got our uh our population up a little bit. And uh when I started learning the betting, nobody else hunted like that everybody was trained to stay away from bedding. So those bedding areas were pristine. Nobody went in them. Nobody understood how points worked, how transitions worked, how, you know, any of that worked. So as I started figuring that stuff out, I was in a gold mine and everyone you'd go to, you'd have deer come in and uh, well, not everyone because there wasn't as many deer, right? Yeah. I mean, populations were low, but as we got into like the, the, the early two thousands, the end of the nineties, the population was starting to skyrocket. And uh, mature bucks came along with that higher population. And there was bucks all over the place and people were doing well. But what happened in that time frame was in the 90s, the explosion of deer farming. Yeah. The Drury's, the Kiskies, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? All those people were uh, right in your face on TV like we've never seen before. Now, a lot of people grew up in that thing, so they don't realize that that was all of a sudden. But to people like me, it was kind of all of a sudden that stuff was in your face. That, that probably and, came and that, along with like cable TV, right? Like uh, like the outdoor channel came and exactly, yeah, exactly. Because TV was all you had, you know, and DVDs at the time. DVDs started coming out, but everybody was taking the farm deer approach. Mm-hmm. You know, food plots, private land. The public land is crowded, and everybody wanted private land. And the public land just started draining of people. And what you saw in public land is you still saw hunters. But you saw hunters who were not very good. They didn't know what they're doing. They're beginner level. Um, you'd go out in the woods and you'd see guys in the middle of the woods. You go out there during gun season and the whole open forest would be a, a, a guy in orange every 40 or 50 yards claiming an area. And it's like, how would a guy, a deer get to the guy in the middle? I mean, if you had any common sense, you'd look at that and go, how could you ever think you're going to kill a deer when it's got to go past 50 people to get to you? You know, these people must think that they just jump up out of the leaves or something you know um so we had stupider people you know uh the kind of people who would just and i don't mean that stupid i just mean they yeah, never i, I know they never mean. learned the tactics right yeah so you'd see them they would if ever if you're any place you saw a rub or something there'd be a standover and you kind of still see that yeah you know stand well now whenever i see a giant rub first thing i do is my head flicks around i look at the camera that's filming me you know yeah. as soon as i see it um, but we went from that to now, um, thanks to the education in, in public land hunting, we're seeing a much smarter, um, group of people, people that are preferring the public land and the freedom of not having all the rules of private, having, uh, to deal with the landowners and stuff. And, and, uh, that might sound weird, but I don't know every property I've ever been on that's private there's always some sort of stupid rules or stupid right. something. Something's always sticking always in the butt. Side. Yeah, there's you always a butt. Exactly. Or if you hunt like I do and you only want to go in there once or twice a year, they're going to give it to somebody else because you don't utilize it. You know, where I'm utilizing it really well, but I don't want to overhunt it, you know. Right. But, I mean, it's always got some sort of baggage. So some people like the freedom a public land and being able to hunt a new spot every day, it's a lot easier to hunt mobile. And like I said, I mean, if you're hunting private, 
if you're hunting that all the time, you're over hunting it. You know, two guys can do more pressure to an 80 acres than, than, uh, uh, you know, a hundred guys can do on a thousand acres of public. Cause you can always get those, you can just keep moving. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So people are starting to understand that. And there was always the misconception that there aren't pub- big bucks on public land. And there's more today than there was, you know, 30 years ago. I don't know about 20 years ago because 20 years ago, we, you know, is when they hit us with the CWD and just wiped out the population right around the early two thousands around here. We really had it good. I mean, some of these public lands were better than high dollar leases. Yeah. Uh, but that's changed, you know, um, because of the CWD thing when they, they killed the numbers so bad. We're starting to get them back, but they're doing all kinds of, in my area, my personal area, they we're starting to get them back, but they're doing everything they can to stop it. I mean, they're trying to, I mean, they're handing out doe tags and yeah. those seasons to get those numbers down. Um, but there's still, I mean, the public land is full of big bucks and it's, it's almost comical to listen to these people complain when they don't even know what they're complaining about saying guys like me have ruined a public land i'm hunting public land it ain't ruined there's big bucks all over the public land and i'm hunting very pressured stuff and i'm finding niches to kill them like like you said i mean uh that buck's got to be in my top three or four bucks yeah all time and i hunted right down under the noses of all these people around here especially with a bow yeah yeah. And then the one you killed two years ago was probably up there too, right? I mean, that was a big yeah. deer. Yep. Amongst yeah. all the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something like to, because everybody, every, I mean, even you, Dan, you probably get frustrated sometimes whenever you pull to a parking lot and you're like, gosh, darn it. You know, I don't want to deal with this today. Um, it ain't so much the parking lots. It's when you get out there and there's just cameras everywhere. Yeah. 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 But it's a, it's a good reminder to be like, man, there's probably one. Uh, hiding in here somewhere you know you just got to be persistent and and keep after it and find them you know what the good part of those cameras is 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 that it tells you how other people are thinking if yeah. there's cameras and spots you know people are looking at that spot the deer are someplace else so you just keep moving keep moving to the deer you know till you find them you know um what you're finding is these guys that are more educated and going into the public land are gravitating to the obvious stuff. Now it used to be the obvious stuff. Even some of it, you get out there, nobody's ever hunted there. There's not a setup or anything, and that's not so much the case anymore. Now you get into an island with a brushy point on it. There's going to be a setup right inside of it. There's going to be cameras there and stuff. But yet there's still big bucks there. Mm-hmm. What those big bucks do is they they obviously recognize cameras. And anybody that doesn't believe that, just look through your pictures, and I guarantee you, you got a bunch of pictures like this looking yeah. at the camera right um we all do they see cameras they know what cameras are and especially if you put them in bedding areas now you start moving them out a little bit you know they'll see them a couple times they'll start being shy of them they'll start coming in using the wind because they know something's up there they've smelled people there you know you think about how many of those giant bucks that i've shot even this year's are on the very first sit mm-hmm. and if not they're the first sit of the year now, when you're putting a camera out there and you're putting, you know, it may be a cell camera, you don't have to come back for a while. You still went in there. You still left scent. And whether people want to believe it or not, that scent lasts a long time. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it if, you know, in the right conditions, it's there for 30 days. You know, um, maybe more. We don't smell like a deer. But I do know that dogs can pick it up for quite a while. 
you know, they might not be able to track it anymore, but if you're in an area, you're messing around, you're staying there for a while trying to hang a camera and stuff, you're leaving a lot of scent. You're, yeah, you're letting those deer know where you're at. So um, cameras can be good. You know, I usually take a camera and I put it in a feeding area, an area where people actually go, where other people hunt. Because I just want to know that that buck exists. My scouting will tell me where he lives and I'll hunt him down. I don't need a camera in his bedding area. I don't need to tip him off that I'm coming. And those cameras, I mean, there's so many of them. Most, most of these young guys nowadays, they'll get like 10 or 20 of these things. And they'll just throw them all over the place. And uh, any place they think might be good. Where a lot of these spots may have not have been hunted in the past. Because they didn't have confidence in them. But they might just, well, let's throw a camera there and see what happens. And then they get the confidence, you know, but those cameras tell you where they're at, where they're hunting. And if they get a picture of a buck, they're moving in. And that buck might just be starting to get used to the camera, you know, and yeah. now all of a sudden you add human scent and stuff. And those bucks are going to be in places where those cameras aren't. So what you're looking for is you're looking for those land features. You're, you're looking for those um, points, those fingers, those brush, you know, points that might not be as obvious, might not be able to see them on an aerial aerial view as well you know but they're still there and they're not where people are going out and putting cameras maybe they're off to the side maybe you got to go around a, a, a private property and come back in a different way because there's only one axis that's really weird to get to a spot so i'm always looking for those weird access spots the spots that are overlooked where you can't really park or you know behind houses things like that and uh finding those niches and, and believe me, a lot of them, you get out there and there's cameras there, there's stands there, there's people are hunting there. You got to have the time to do, you know, to walk, to look, to find, and you got to be able to walk past stuff that looks good, but there's cameras all over the place. You know, there's tree stands all over the place. There's sign. I mean, a lot of guys are, are, are uh, uh, you, you know, they're garbage people. They dump their crap underneath their trees. You see it for a ways. You, they put flags to their trees or, you know, they, you see that stuff and it tips you off that people are there. Mm -hmm. And if you're seeing tree stands, you're seeing cameras, you're in the wrong spot if you want to kill a mature buck. Mature bucks are where nobody is, but they're still there. And actually, by having all that stuff across the landscape, when you go out there and you're getting frustrated, there's a tree stand here, there's a camera there, there's all oh, that infault. He ruined it for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we cross this spot out. We cross this spot out. We cross this spot out. And pretty soon, you've got a very little area that buck could be. And that's how I'm killing them. Yep. Um, last week, I don't know if people caught, uh, picked up on it, but we had Rindle Eric on. And he, we got to talk about trail cameras. This is two weeks in a row we talked about trail cameras. But they uh, he made a really good point. He said, people have this attitude where they'll go scout and they'll find their best area and they'll just put a cell camera on it. And that's how they like monitor it. And he's yep. like, they're thinking backwards. They need to go hunt it. And then if they don't kill something, then maybe go put a camera, then drop a camera there. And then you can, but he said, then they get that picture of that big deer that walks by their trail camera on October 3rd. And then he's like, that's the only time it's going to freaking walk by it. You know, he's like, and you should have been hunting there instead of worrying about your stupid camera. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that is how, that's probably how people should think. And they don't, they think about, well, I'll just sit here and I'll put a camera in before I, I hunt it, you know? So. Yeah. You know, I've, I've hunted where I can see a camera that I monitor mm -hmm. on several occasions. 
um, specifically like at Dave's farm. Cause I put cameras out there cause you know, it's a private farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been in a spot where, and like an observation stand where you watch a, a buck stand in front of that camera and you never get a picture. And you wonder how many times that thing goes by there and doesn't get a picture. And then how many times does it go around that camera and not come in front of it? And I've watched many, many, especially mature bucks, uh, as they come in feeding and walking on the trail, look at that camera and walk around it in a long way around it and come out the other side and look back at the camera. They know those cameras are there. But the fact is, even when they walk past them, I mean, it's a device that picks up heat and movement. It doesn't always do that. They don't always work. You don't always get a picture, you know, um, so keep that in mind. Yep. Um, I was hunting with Johnny Stewart in Ohio and he told me, he thinks that if you get a daylight picture of a buck once a week, that thing's probably living right there. Like he thinks he's like, that thing is, and and a lot of people be like, ah, he's only there once a week. You know, how am I ever going to catch him? And he's like, yeah, he probably walks around that thing every single day and he probably just screws up once a, once a week, you know? (laughs) If it's a shooter buck, anytime you get a daylight picture, you should be taking high notice. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, so that I hear people all the time. I'll get, I'll get people, um, not to make this about trail cameras, but I'll get people send me comments all the time. I got this buck that's coming by at midnight, 1 a.m. The other day I got him at 11 p.m. Then again at midnight, but he's there every day and he's a giant, you know, and it's, and it's only 40 acres. I don't know where, you know, where should I hunt on this 40 acres? You know, you should probably go knock on the neighbor's door because he's not living there. <laughs> yeah. It's not anywhere towards daylight. I mean, he might be, but there's yeah. probably not if it's a small acreage and you're getting them in the middle of the night. They, they travel at night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, you, you just never know. Right. I mean, he could be he could be making some kind of loop or something where he just maybe he lives there but he's making some weird loop and he walks by at midnight. I you know who knows? That's a hard. I those are the hardest questions to answer for people. It's like people got to stop looking for technology to solve all their problems. Yeah, basically. I mean, sure, use the cameras. You know, let them help you, but don't rely on them. Don't use a camera and one day you get a picture of a buck in daylight and you figure something out and you kill a buck and say, okay, cameras are the way to go. And I'm buying 50 cameras and that's all I'm doing now is concentrating on pictures and all day long. I'm looking at pictures. You're going to lose your ability to kill deer because killing deer takes understanding how they shift around, how they bed, how they use the wind, how they travel, when they're going to be in spots, doing the detective work of when they're bedding in a spot in an area and being able to make educated guesses on where they're going to be, not using a camera. Because a lot of times they're bedding in a certain area because of the, the weather conditions or because of the timing of the rut or something like that. And you got to beat him to the punch. you got to be there when he's there, not two days after you got a picture. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, another, it's not, I guess it's an issue. The The thing with the cameras now is like, I had a buddy call me the other day. He's at Walmart and they were had, they had cell cameras for $29 at Walmart on sale. And he's like, you want me to get you one? I'm like, no, not, <laughs> no, but that's crazy how, how cheap everything is getting. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And, uh, Jake from Exodus told me, uh, a while back, he said he could see a day where if you just like subscribe to the data plans or, you know, how you got to pay the data plans. He's, he, yeah. he sees a day one day that they'll make this stuff cheap enough that you just have to subscribe and they'll give you cameras to use. Like if you, if you, you know, start a data plan with them they'll give you a camera for every data plan you have and i'm like man Mm. 
Yeah, some some of these uh, camera people are coming up with some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Moultrie started doing a, a thing where they uh, they take everybody um, everybody's data. So they've got uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, I can't think of the word for it. But they they take they can take the pictures um, from your camera when you get a picture. They can tell if it was a buck. Oh, like AI or something. Yeah, AI. Yeah. They got AI in there, so they can tell if it's a buck. They can tell if it's a raccoon. They can tell if it's a doe, you know. Mm. And when you get a picture of bucks or, or deer and they're move, moving at uh, time frames, they can uh, uh, actually estimate how the deer are going to be moving the next day and stuff with, with the AI. And uh, they can do that right in the area of the hunters now. And I, I'm willing to bet all your trail camera companies are going to start doing that, all your cell cam. Because... A lot of people don't notice, um, but the people who host your pictures and stuff, the trail camera companies can see all those pictures if they want to. Oh yeah, they have access to that. So they, um, I mean, a, a good reputable company ain't going to look at your pictures or say, "Oh my gosh, right, right, Parker, I'm going to check his camera out." You know, they're they're not going to do that. But what they do is they take everybody's pictures and start putting. You, you know, like this huge uh, survey, like like deer collar survey, you know. But with yeah, trail, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, and that's a just to go back to your point about them. They can look at your pictures, look, like all those mapping softwares. They can see your points and everything too. Like, yep. None of that's uh real confidential. Well, I don't think. Stories about certain companies. <laughs> yeah, I have too. Yeah. Um, but. Did, uh, I was going to ask you, Dan, I wrote this down while you were talking a minute ago. You got to talking about just how time has passed and, and the out, you know, you had the, the eighties and things were good. Then the nineties when the outdoor industry started to kick up, it kind of got rough again. And, um, then it got good in the two thousands and then YouTube came along and we educated everybody on how to go to public land. Like what, yeah, when did you public land? Huh? Not because of YouTube, there ain't a buck on any public land. Right. right exactly. It's just, it's the downfall of it all. Um, when did you start like knowing you wanted to teach people? Cause I mean, I'm sure whenever, maybe when you were younger, I don't know if you had that drive or not, but. Yeah. When I was young, um, like a lot of young people, I mean, I wanted to, uh, kill the biggest, baddest bucks and, and be the man. But yeah. after you kill a few, you just kind of get over that. I mean, it's, I don't know how to say it, but uh, it becomes old, you know, real fast. Yeah. And you, and I really wanted to see other people experience, you, you know, what I went through. And I wanted to see them get away from, you know, bad stuff, lifestyles and into better lifestyles. And I think for me that, that probably started to occur in the uh, early nineties. And uh, I was trying to put something together with a TV show and it was just so hard back then. You know, I, I was I was a guest on a lot of TV shows, but I wanted to put something specifically together for, like, teaching people how to hunt. And everybody would tell me, "No, no, nobody wants to learn how to hunt. That's stupid. Nobody, nobody needs that knowledge. They all know how to hunt. It's they want to see big bucks get killed. That was the big thing back then. What people thought. I always kind of thought ahead of times, you know, myself. But uh, I I got that when the DVDs started coming out. I wanted to do a DVD series where I covered every terrain and then I wanted to go into 
you know, I never did finish it because I wanted to do a rut DVD. I want to do all kinds of other stuff. And they're just too time consuming to make them. Um, but I, I had to pull other people in with, that were smart enough with the technology to help me with that. Uh, and then after I pulled them in, um, they turned out to be screwballs. So I ended up going on my own, but then by that time I started to learn how to do it myself. Um, but it was really, yeah, um, probably early to mid nineties where I started to really feel mm -hmm. like, um, I want to teach people, you know, what I've learned. I saw a lot of, uh, at that same time frame, I saw a lot of, uh, what I considered myths in hunting. You hear, um, the tactics you would hear were just so stupid to me that I wanted to, you know, show people that it was wrong. You know, that was still a time frame when people are saying, stay away from betting, you know, and, uh, things like that. That's interesting. I just never, never did ask you that. So it popped in my head that, uh, let's go back to your buck. Now that specifically this buck and this, you know, this overlooked spot or spot that wasn't obvious to everybody. Was it, was it a close to the road spot way back in the, so for people that didn't watch the video, was it a way back far spot or, um, well, the property it? isn't very big, so you can't really get way back far. Okay. But it was on the back side of the property, you know, and, uh, um, there was, a. It was, it was in an area of almost solid uh, buckthorn where mm -hmm. there's no trees where people won't hunt. And I'm starting to find that that seems to be the new hot spot is that buckthorn. You can't hunt on the ground because mature buckthorn is wide open on the ground. If you're standing head level, it looks thick, but bend over to a deer's level and you can see everything. It's just the little trunks all over the place, right? But it's mm -hmm. wide open. It covers the ground so no, no undergrowth grows. I mean, it's really a, a nasty thing. It just takes yeah. over everything. But uh, uh, you can't get too elevated. Number one, those things are uh, so branchy and the, the branches are so small that it's hard to get into a tree. But you can kind of, if you can get the right tree, you can kind of get just barely off the ground kind of thing. And that's what I was doing. And I've done that on several occasions. And I've had some really good luck. It seems like those are the areas now that people really can't get into. And if you can find some niche where there's one spot where you can get on the ground because a bush fell or something to get into, or there's one spot where you can get into a tree or, you know, and, and uh, the hardest part of it is, is those buckthorn areas is now when I get into them is really, you get to the spot where you need to be and finding the right setup. Cause like when you get into timber or something, it's, you usually have options. Yeah. You might not be the greatest, but you have options, you know? where you really have a hard time with options in that scenario, but, but that's where the bucks are, are hanging out in daylight. That's where you got to be. Yeah. You can tell in the video, it's a like, uh, in your video, it almost looks like he's walking in an open area, but it's, I mean, it's obviously not how high were you off the ground? I was probably about, uh, uh I think I used four sticks, but I wasn't that high. The sticks were close together and the tree was on a slant and uh i couldn't get very elevated to where i wanted to be it was kind of uh it was a box elder tree that was growing in this stuff there's like, like a little opening that had some trees but all those trees had already lost their leaves and it was it was in the middle of that buckthorn and uh there wasn't really an ideal tree in there um 
the tree looked a lot better in spring when I spotted it. I didn't, you know, you, you don't go in and you climb up the tree and set it up or anything. Right. It's not part of the ground. So I looked at the tree and marked it. So when I got there, I had to deal with what I had. And uh, literally, because that tree um, is on an angle like this, you know, you're standing on it like this. So right. you're, you're literally sticking out from the tree. And then I'm expecting the deer to kind of come around from the front of me. And he didn't because I called to him, you know, because he grunted, if you remember the video. Mm -hmm. So I grunted back, you know, from the bedroom, I heard him grunt. And he came out and kind of headed straight to me. But then he turned and walked right alongside of me. And from that viewpoint, if he looked up, I was skylit. I didn't have no cover at all whatsoever. And I could not believe that deer did not see me draw that bow or anything. It's just like, I thought he was going to bust at any minute, you know, but he didn't. Just all came yeah. together well. He seemed to be real sidetracked. I don't know if it was because of the grunt, but it almost seemed like he had forgotten about the grunt by that time. Like he came in because of the grunt, but now he just seemed to be moving through because he wasn't really looking around. He just kind of concentrated. If you if you watch the video, even when I, I tried to stop him, he was just oblivious to me yeah. even making yeah. a noise. He was just walking, you know. I wonder if uh I wonder if he like misheard your grunt where he thought it was farther or something. He was trying to get you know what I mean? I wonder if he like was like trying to beeline to a certain spot where he thought he heard that grunt and you just happened well, to when throw. he first came out, he was staring right at like the base of my tree and he kind of looped towards the tree. But then when he got close, I mean, his tail was flicking too. And he was like licking his nose, like he's trying to smell, but the wind was in my favor. But then when he got to like, like within 20 yards, it's just like, all of a sudden it's just like, well, what's going on over there? And he just kind of, hmm. I don't know. I just think you just kind of forgot about it. Lost I mean, track of what he was yeah, thinking. Yep. Yeah. Happens to me sometimes. <laughs> um, man, I was, uh, it's funny you mentioned that grunting things and, uh, in Kansas this year, I had, uh, multiple scenarios where I could grunt at deer and I learned a lot like by watching how, cause you can see a lot more up in there and it is, I mean, you have to have the perfect scenario for a deer to come into a grunt call. Like I was mm -hmm. completely convinced of that. Like anytime I, like if I would see a, like I saw a really big buck, um, you know, hundred yards from me and he wasn't coming closer and I gr grunted and snort wheezed at him and he, he was interested, but that deer did everything in his power. He jumped like two fences to get around behind me and was going to mm -hmm. come in, you know, downwind. And I just wonder how many times that happens, you know, like people that grunt a lot or, um, you know, exactly. how, how horrible you are educating those deer because all they do is even if they're 150 yards away you know they're going to eventually make their way around and see what smell that you know you know from my perspective um over the years with uh playing with stuff i would say a grunt call is probably the best calling thing you have over over rattling antlers over you know snort wheezing and all that other stuff I, i'd say the grunt call works the best and even that um I can think of all the times over the years, especially when I was younger, where you'd see a deer going by and you'd call to it and it would instantly get spooky or it would instantly um, get on alert and stare right up in the trees, like looking for you, like knew where you grunted from. Mm -hmm. I learned real quick that you do not grunt at a deer that's looking in your direction because their hearing is so in tune that they'll figure out it's up in the tree. And when you grunt to them, when they do come in, you watch them come from a long ways and trot right up to the base of your tree. And then they're looking around like, where is it? It was right here. Yeah. And I've had so many times where they come in 
and they get to about 20 yards or something and they look around and they're like there's no deer here and you just see like like the fear come into them you like can just the see panic, the, yeah. face, the ears come back and the, the look you know and i've had them circle downwind and smell you um the scenario of actually killing one gets hard and what you do is you educate those deer and with that said what a grunt call is really good for is if that deer is not coming to you and it's going past, there's a good chance with a grunt, you can turn it around and bring it in for a shot. And I've done that many times. I've killed a lot of deer with a grunt call, but I will not blind call. So many people yeah. are out there blowing a tune. You're spooking the deer before it even gets to you, especially, you, you know, I shouldn't say that. I'm not saying you should never blind call. I'm saying you shouldn't set up like I do on betting where you're expecting a buck to come in and then just start tooting a horn because you're likely to spook that deer. But there are scenarios like you're on a piece of private land and there's a buck that lives on the other property and never comes over and you just want to, you know, it's kind of like a desperation call is what I call it, mm -hmm. line calling. But there are situations where you need a desperation call, you know, but uh, um, just being quiet and letting them come to you is probably the very best thing you can do. And when you're talking mature bucks that are five, six years old, I mean, they've been shot at, they've been called to, they've been probably hit by bullets, hit by arrows. I mean, on the public lands I'm hunting, those things got projectiles in them. They've learned some very hard lessons and they've had calling done to them. I mean, I, I, I don't remember any rut where I haven't heard several people calling while I'm out hunting, you know? Um, so if I'm hearing it, deer are hearing it for sure. So those deer are getting educated to that. So I would not, you know, when they come in and they catch you in a new spot, you've never been there before, or at least not that year, or, you know, no time anywhere near that time frame. And they come in and there's not a grunt call at them. There's not a rattle at them or anything. They're just doing what they normally do when they come through there. And you catch them completely off guard. That's when you can kill them. That's when you can make a mistake. That's when you can draw off in a tree without them catching you. When you grunt call them in and they come in on pins and needles, try drawing your bow. Try getting it drawn. I mean, that's when they get hard to kill. That's when you get a deer that's so much on pins and needles that when you when you shoot, they drop the string, you hit them in the spine or you hit underneath them or because they jump or, you know. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I've called in a few deer and shot them. And every time it's just like, uh, it's just the absolute perfect scenario where if the deer is going to come in here, he's going to have to come in here to see, like he can't, he can't see where I'm at or he's, um, you know, there's some kind of obstruction behind me that he, he can't, you know, get around me. Um, and it's only happened, a, you know, a few times and who I knows got, how to you know. footage of, uh, rat slayer, uh, when he was like, uh, 14, um, uh, I don't know. A lot of people probably remember that footage. He was kind of a little kid. We were up in the hills and uh, he, he ended up shooting a 10 pointer. But uh, before the 10 pointer came in, a doe came in and he just wanted to shoot a deer, you know? And uh, he pulls back his bow and the doe's walking and he goes, Meh. and that thing just instantly barreled out of there like a rocket. And it had no idea he was there. It just freaked and ran so hard when he tried to stop it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, he had a good season. This is his first year back. Didn't disappoint, probably. I'd say. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, proud of him. I hope he uh, sticks with it. 
Well, if if he if he doesn't, it wasn't because he wasn't uh, into deer this year. That's for sure. Right. right. Um, was there anything else we need to talk about with with public land? And I feel like we kind of covered everything. Um, when it comes to your buck and hunting around the pressure and all that, we got a bunch of questions. So I was going to let let people ask questions tonight. Sounds awesome. All right. Let's see here. Pharrell ask, uh, when you're in the stand, how often are you standing, sitting back to the tree, sitting, facing the tree, et cetera? You, you know, um, most people probably think that you stand the whole time ready and waiting. If I stand, I start fidgeting and that moving will get caught when a deer comes in because they'll probably come in and I, I don't notice them right away because they come in slow and they'll be watching. All of a sudden there's a deer there and if you're fidgeting, they're going to catch it. And if I'm standing, I'm going to move around because my foot's going to get sore. My hand's going to get sore or whatever. I find it's best for me to sit down till I hear or see one. So I pretty much stay sitting. If I'm really in a spot where I'm kind of compromised, um, I like a real high seat on a tree stand. Um, sometimes I'll take the seat itself and I'll tip it up and I'll sit on the very top of it while it's kind of up so i'm almost standing but i still get that sitting position kind of where i'm rest at rest so i'm not fidgeting um but most of the time i'm sitting until something comes in because i find that you're more likely to get busted moving around by trying to stand and be ready yeah i essentially do the same thing i i sit until it's until i get an opportunity to stand up if something's coming in um, I always, I mean, I don't know about you, but I always try to stand up before a buck comes in and give me a shot. I like to I, I feel much better standing. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm always just, you're, you're paranoid about, you know, you never know when you're gonna have to make a move or something's going to happen. Not only that, but if you're sitting in a tree again, you have that, that big blob sticking out from the tree. When I stand, I put my back right up against the tree. Right. And, uh, what I'll do a lot of times is I'll turn sideways. And then the only thing sticking out of the tree is my big gut, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, I'll blend in with the tree and I'll try to take the, they, the first thing they spot too, is your face and your eyes. For whatever reason, those predators, or I mean, those prey animals really lock onto faces and eyes. So I'll take the bow limb and I put it right in front of my face. To, yeah. To kind of break up your, outline. a lot of your, a lot of your, uh, um, really great hunters from the past would, um, um, notice that right away. Um, people I heard first heard that from was like Miles Keller and stuff. He, yeah. he would wear, wear a mask, you know, face mask. Um, or did yeah. wear face camo? I don't like face camo, but no. I used to, the bow limb seems to work really well. If I just put that in front of my face, you know, I got to hold that bow up right, ready in ready position anyways. So as soon as I got a shot, I can draw. Yep. I heard, uh, Barry Winslow. I did, a, I listened to one of his seminars at a show one time and he was talking about that. He wears, he wears like, it's the same one I wear now, but it's like a full face spandiflage is what it's called. But mm -hmm. he was real big on that too. Getting your face covered up. I was talking to him. Oh, he's a great guy. Just he's, he's fun all around. Yeah. He's a good yeah, guy. I jokes with you a little bit. You know, I, uh, I probably knew it and forgot it, but I didn't realize that his brother was his twin. Yeah. You know, and I was in a phone conversation with him a few weeks ago and I was talking to him or it was more than a few weeks ago. It was back when we wanted to have mom, but he was having health issues. Yeah. 
and uh, I asked them, you know, well, uh, I said, uh, now, uh, your brother Gene's a little older than you, right? He says, yeah, he's quite a bit older than me. And and I said, uh, how's his health? He goes, not as good as mine. And it didn't dawn on me. I remember him saying that because I was worried about Gene's health, you know, that uh, he sent me uh, his book for my birthday. Yeah. And uh, I was looking through the book and uh, I saw under that it's his twin. And I thought he was joking with me. Yeah. He's got that kind of sense of humor. Will, oh, yeah. Where he, he doesn't care if you get it. If he gets it, he's he's it's great because he's, he's laughing his ass off. But yeah, he's a funny guy. Oh he's yeah, just, he's, he's he's character. You know, if you go back to those to those times, um, everybody wanted to be this rock hard Dick Idol type hunter who were, who were mm-hmm. like all serious, you know. Um, and he was the kind of guy that could joke around and have fun, and I like that. Yeah, he always always wore his hat like this or sideways, and yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Well, I think even in, in those DVDs he made, I think he had a lot of like pranks and jokes went on in those. Yeah. He had he had one video that uh, I don't even know if this is mainstream. I might even still have it, but he gave it to me at a show. It was just a disc he gave me, and it was him like, uh, God, I thought it was hunting bears, not deer, but bears. But he had like uh, like six opportunities between him and his brother. <laughs> And they missed every single bear, and they were just laughing their asses yeah. off. Yeah, like, oh, I missed another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yeah, I, like fun. I mean, it, it'd be fun to have a brother like that. That those two were so into hunting together and being able to do that together their whole lives—that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, yeah. It kind of it kind of sucks not really like having somebody right here that hunts with me all the time and stuff. Yeah. But I probably do better because of that. Right. You know, um, I think uh, I kill any friendships there because nobody wants to hunt as hard as me or do the things. Yeah, that- you end up getting frustrated with people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Nolan, he asked, did Dan, did you do any scouting since the cold snap hit? Um, no, because we got buried with 17 inches of snow. So um pre-snow i went scouting quite a bit post-snow i have not i have been driving around looking at bucks but that doesn't do me much good and the deer right now with the heavy snow are on winter patterns that aren't going to have any reflection on next fall i need the snow to melt to see the sign from last fall to be able to really scout right now yeah um what I really need to do is find somebody who has a pig problem and wants me to come visit. Right. Because I am going stir crazy and I need something to hunt. There you go. So any of you guys out there got a pig problem and want me to come down and join you? Reach out. Facebook message, Dan. Uh, let's see here. Tim asks, how do you define deer density? So many square miles, so many per square mile or just general observation? Um, you know, I don't know if I ever trust their numbers too much because they're, I think a lot of times, uh, our, uh, agencies, um, unfortunately are working against us instead of for us. And I think they use numbers to prove a point. So they, they kind of prove them in a certain direction, but the way they, they do it is by per square mile. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the density per square mile and they'll say um 25 is high or something i think they kind of like i can remember some figures where they wanted five or six per square mile but if you think about that i mean um the marsh i hunt here is about uh maybe a couple square miles and uh if you put 10 deer out there i mean we've got maybe 500 different people a year that hunt here your odds yeah, go up yeah. significantly i i would say that uh um there's a lot of misconceptions about population like uh um the old school thing that uh, the biologists tell you and the only reason they tell you this is because it's what they were taught in school it's not because they've actually seen it that the antlers get smaller and they get uh, um the herd gets worse the does stop having babies and stuff because of the population being so high and all of a sudden you got these little tiny racks um but with that said, I hunted on a ranch in Illinois where they had over a hundred deer per square mile. And uh, I had, uh, I hunted there for a weekend on an invite and I had over a hundred deer come past me in one sit. There was actually something spooked them. It was on a, it was in a late season hunt and they were feeding in a field. Something spooked them. And I don't even know what it was, but it was a stampede coming out of that field. Jeez. And there was so much dust I couldn't even see. And yet I seen tremendous bucks and that particular property, the person who was hunting there shot, uh, uh, two bucks that were in the top 10 of the state. I want to say top 10, um, by score, uh, typicals in the state, hmm. uh, even though the population is that high, um, you got to have a high population to have a high population of big bucks. Now I'm not promoting having a hundred deer per square mile. I think that's a lot of hand. Um, the particular landowner there or not landowner, but the person who was leasing it, um, won't shoot does and frowned upon it. Yeah. And because of that, that's why the population was like that. Um, he wouldn't let nobody shoot does or whatever. And, um, I would say a hundred deer per square miles out of hand. I mean, there was like, it's a little over your head. There was no leaf cover anywhere. Yeah. would Get on their feet. And they'd eat everything, everything, every plant life. I mean, I'm sure that they were doing havoc on certain native plants, you know, in the area. But, uh, with that said, I think 25 to 30 deer per square mile is pretty healthy. I, I think 50 per square mile ain't bad. I mean, you look at, uh, the difference between Iowa and Wisconsin where I'm at in Wisconsin, the difference is the population. It's not the quality. Everybody thinks they want to go down there because of the genetics and all that. The genetics ain't that great. Those bucks ain't any bigger than the bucks here. It's just, they got the age class because they got the quantity. Yeah. They got a lot of deer. So, um, the difference is like, I might hunt here a week, um, in rut and see six or seven deer. I hunt a week in Iowa and I see 50. Yeah. You drive down the road and you see bucks sparring in people's yards. You see them walking down the roads. You see them chasing does across the road in front of you. I don't see that here. You just don't have yeah. that many deer. You see it maybe once in a week, not every day, every time you drive to the store or every time you go to the gas station. It's the population. That's why the area where I hunted in Iowa, I got so many opportunities. You put me in a game rich area and I'm going to kill some bucks. You know, uh, that uh, Iowa hunt uh, in, in, uh, you know, I think every day I saw a shooter buck, every single day, at least one from Stan. 
at least one shooter buck. So you, you don't get that around here because the population ain't high enough. There ain't enough bucks. It has nothing right. to do with the quality of the animals or the genetics or anything like that. I'd actually say we got better genetics here than where I hunted in Iowa. I would say that if these deer get to that five, six, seven years old, they tend to be bigger bucks on average than the ones down there. I mean, we get a lot of deer around here that are killed that uh, when they're aged, they're three and a half and they make Boone and Crockett. All right. Yep. Good points. Uh, let's see here. Hunting factor, Dan, you bucks know when the pressure is low and come back into those areas. I think uh, they don't know it, but they kind of do. They smell it. They can smell when pressure's low. So what they do is they 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 smell human pressure. Everything they do is with their nose. Everything we do is with our eyes. So it's hard to comprehend for a person because a person, like if they see danger, if you went outside and you saw somebody standing in your yard with a gun and he stepped into the shadows, you'd be really, really careful about going outside again. You'd be really careful about watching that area. But if you walked out one day and there's a bullet laying over there and some footprints, you might be a little inquisitive about it, but it wouldn't bother you. Deer are the opposite. Uh, they could see you walking through a field that wouldn't bother them. They'd like step back and they'd be like, huh, what is that? Is that a person? But if they get downwind of you and they smell you, then they know. Or they'll wait till you leave and go over there and smell you. But everything's on smell. And um, the pressure, when people go through an area like gun season and stuff, those people leave scent that last 30 days. So the deer are going to move to areas where there is no human scent, where people haven't been. And it's going to take that scent dissipating to, to, to go back. And really, I think even when that scent dissipates, those deer still have a leeriness to that area. That area was a problem area. You know, you know, um, they go to areas at time frames, and those time frames are based on when people aren't around, and, and pressure can really kill an area. For example, I've got some spots around here that were great for years and years and years. And then that pressure everybody's blaming me for, right? Mm -hmm. and uh somebody finds my little island or they find my little point or whatever and they set up a tree stand four trail cameras you know and beat a trail to it you know and they go there and they hunt there every single day because they saw a deer there once right and that place just goes dead the spot had big bucks every single year and now you don't even have a rub in it after a season of this guy well the next year he shows up again because he had that good season two seasons ago and he doesn't see any deer again for a season and then he gives up and he leaves and you check and his stand's gone, his cameras are gone. Person, all right, it's going to be good. Deer don't come back. Sometimes it takes three or four seasons before I start getting mature bucks back in there again after that. That damage is harder than you think. And, you know, there's only so many mature bucks around. And when they kick one out of there, he did, he's going to be real leery about ever coming back to that area. You know, um, so it's really, a, you know, you think about, you, you know, I, I can't stress this enough. And I think people just kind of, it goes over their heads, but that first sit thing that I'm killing those biggest bucks, those ones that are six or seven years old, I'm killing them on the very first sit that I do in a spot and think about all the great spots I've found over my lifetime that I, that I will go back and hunt here and there. And I'm not killing those giants. I'll kill a nice buck there. I'll see a lot of deer there, but those big bucks are finding those niches where people don't go. And when I do go and I kill another big buck in that same spot, it's usually after a couple of years have gone by without me hunting there. Think about that. There's a reason for that. It doesn't happen on accident. Right. 
Okay. I lost my place here. Someone asked what your buck scored this year, Dan, if you ever scored it. Uh, I kind of rough scored it. I didn't take a tape measure to it, but it's right about 170. All them extra. So. Yeah. Those has some extra points going like that in the inside of it too. That helps a lot when you got two extra tines on the, each beam. Right. It's um, got a lot of, it's got a lot of tine length. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, up. Um, John, he asked, he has 600 acres, highly pressured public. Uh, is it, is it too small of a piece of land? So he can't find any overlooked spots, but gets pictures of big bucks at night every year. Well, I would be wondering how late at night and how far from the borders the cameras are. Um, if, if you go through the property, you find all the bedding areas, you sift through them and you hunt them and you don't see any big bucks, I'd probably move on. Um, but I, I can tell you um, around here, uh, the majority of the public property I don't, I don't even care about won't go there. It has to have certain ingredients for me to pick out a public property to even want to look at it. Um, and mostly what I'm looking for is uh, that it has spots where people can't kill everything, like with a gun or whatever. Uh, it has spots where people won't get into. Um, large areas of uh, underwater tag tags, cattails that are mixed with water and um, brush pockets and stuff that people just won't get into. They won't go out and wade out into that crap. Um, especially in pressured areas. I mean, you get into hill country and a lot of times it's just more about vast areas that people don't get to because how vast they are, um, which is kind of what uh, Josh has. But when you get into the pressured areas that are swampy, kind of like what I got, they don't even have to be swampy. They can be farmland. You got to look for wet stuff. Um, um, that wet stuff is is usually where they're going to be um, living. It doesn't mean you have to kill them in the wet stuff. It just means that that's what's going to keep them alive when the pressure comes on that's where they're going to go because they got to get to six or seven years old to have the age that you you know, you know to be something you really want uh now take that with a grain of salt i know most of you would it would shoot one two two three four years old obviously so would i right if it's the right buck but we all dream of shooting those older ones right the real yeah. monster ones right don't put yourself out of the ball game so look for a property that has those ingredients and uh if your gut's telling you those bucks aren't there, maybe they're not. But I would probably um, look at the uh, pictures and try to decide, um, you know, does it get dark at uh, 7 p.m. and the picture's at uh, 7.20 and it's a uh, quarter mile from the uh, land border? Lenny's probably coming from somewhere in there. You know, um, is it midnight? Is it 1 o'clock in the morning? And you, you know, but I would probably comb the area pretty good. Look at all the bedding areas and I would look at the beds. Now, generally, if a big buck is bedding in a bedding area, usually he'll have rubs right in the beds and you'll be able to tell by the rubs if the big buck is there. Right. So if you're not finding that, there's probably not any shooters in there. But with that said, if there's only like one in there, he might not be leaving a lot of sign in his bedding areas, but they're Usually yeah. the bedding areas will tell me if there's a real big buck in there. George asked, uh, any chance the buck you shot this year is the buck you shot last year? Or did it have any broadhead or bullets from the previous season? I've been asked that a lot. It's not the same buck. Yeah, you'd notice that. I'm sure that deer's always had funky. 
You had some people send you pictures of it and stuff, right? Yes. Yes. Um, neighbor accused me of poaching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Said I shot it on his land. Um, luckily, I uh, film everything I do, so you can see where I shoot it. You can see where it drops. So right. I wasn't on it. And then he said I had to have trespassed on his property to know about the buck and all this kind of crap. I mean, just get jealous because you shoot it. But uh, right. a whole bunch of people that hunt that public property had pictures of the buck. Uh, when we were coming out, um, when we were dragging the buck out, we ran into a trail camera. And uh, the person who owned that sent me a whole bunch of pictures of the buck. I think he was just waiting for daylight pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, there were a few people that sent me pictures, quite a few people. Um, the uh, the fighter guys, what, what's their names? Oh, yeah, I know you're talking about barbers. Yeah, the barber boys. Uh, they had drone fo footage of it. They told me they would have hunted it, but uh, they just they saw it with the drone while they're looking for coyotes or something like that, while they're coyote hunting. And they just assumed it was during the summer. They just assumed that it lived on the public or private. Hmm. There you go. Nolan, he says, uh, have you seen, have you heard about these 360 cameras by stealth cam? It's called a revolver and it's a matter of time before you see those cams out there. Yeah. It's a, essentially it has a sensor all the way around it and the camera all the way around it where anything that walks in that area, it'll pick up. Yeah. Just more technology. I mean, I don't, I think you get an awful lot of false triggers, though. Do what? Drones, drones is the worst technology. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. Can you guys still hear me? can hear you. I can't see you. My camera just died. One second. Let me just switch over to this camera. Okay. Quality went down, but at least you can still see me, though. Um, the um, I lost my train of, train of thought. But I would think with those 360 cameras because of my face i'm so ugly everybody <laughs> I always wants me to put a better quality camera on. what do you want to see up my nose or what <laughs> i would i would think that those 360 cams you'd get a lot of false triggers putting them in the woods or like or in, on public land i think those are maybe designed for like putting them in the middle of a food plot or something but um i don't know i could be wrong too i've never used one obviously let's see here do either of us think deer migrate? Yep. Certain yep. areas, they definitely will. I talk about that all the time, how they come out of the cattails and stuff, going to the fields. And, you know, and, and when we go up to Michigan hunting uh, in the UP, that's what we're doing is we're chasing the migration. They've got a huge migration up there. I think you get more migration in the, the, the more you get into colder areas, you know, but uh, they are constantly kind of migrating. I mean, we yeah. talk about that all the time. They change based on food sources and cover and move through an area. I mean, some deer are homebodies. You know, you find a deer that never leaves a little, you know, one mile square area. And then you find the next deer that's got uh, like 10 miles. You know, it disappears for a while and you're hearing about people seeing it somewhere else. And, you know, every deer is a little different. Pharrell asked about you ever set up facing the tree backwards like i, I do, know you do, I, do but not, I try not to um i do when the tree is leaning um like towards the deer um i'll put it on the back side and hide behind the tree because you can't get in the front side you have a tree pushing you out of the stand right yeah 
So I like to be on the backside of the tree in that, in that case. And if I think back, uh, about three years ago, maybe four years ago on Dave's farm, I shot one, one of those leaning trees off the backside. And I also, um, shot one there a couple years ago. You probably remember that real big basket racked buck that I tried to shoot down the throat and never recovered. Yep. That was on a leaning tree and he spotted me up there because he came in from the side view. When I drew the bow, he looked right up at me, which is why I tried to take that shot. And uh, that's because of, you know, that whole sticking out from the tree thing. Right. Back up. You can't get up against it. You do. Well, you, I mean, with the, oh, what's the tree? Ash trees that are all dying off now. You get on mm -hmm. the backside of them sometimes, don't you? Only if they're leaning, usually. I usually okay. uh, sit on the side of the deer. I don't think it makes any difference. Um, a lot of people think they got to hide behind a tree. I've never, se I've never seen them notice me any different. As a matter of fact, I think I get busted more from the backside because you're looking around a tree to see them or whatever. You stick out from the sides. Yeah. Um, where if I get in line with the tree, I'm one straight, you know, uh, object up. I'm not trying to peek around. I'm not trying to shoot around. I'm just sitting there, you know, put my body sideways with the tree in line with it and block my face with that limb. And when a deer looks that direction, I mean, I, sh I shoot deer skydive and beanpole trees like that. Yeah. And uh, I just sit there until the deer gives me a shot and then I move, you know? Right. That's what I, uh, I get a kick out of these, uh, like these hardcore saddle hunters that uh, act like they, they use those ring of steps. You know what that is, right, Dan? They, they put the mm -hmm. steps away on the tree and they're like, we can shoot any at any direction i'm like how in the world are you moving when a deer's in bow range around the stupid tree like that like it's not happening guys like quit I telling me that do. i mean maybe, yeah, with, maybe, uh, maybe you get 40 feet in the air I, <laughs> I i'll tell you what these uh mature bucks on public land when they get to be six or seven years old you better not make a mistake yeah i mean not any mistake i mean you better not be sticking your head out a movement draw your bow at the wrong time or anything yeah. Um, think back to that one I got uh, a couple seasons ago, way out in the cattails. I mean, that deer had no clue that I was there. Caught him by total, complete surprise. And when I pulled that bow back, just that little limb, you know, against the thing. I mean, it wasn't very much noise at all. That thing just locked up. And do you remember oh, how yeah. long that thing stood there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Painful. Crazy. You know, I was lucky to get that deer because of that. Right. All right. Russ had a quick one for you, Dan. Do you remember... That running shot Barry Wenzel did with a recurve in October Whitetails. Oh, uh, I've seen it, but I can't really yeah. recall it. I, I think I remember that clip, though. That's a long time ago. Zeke says we need to go to Texas and kill an axis deer. No season, no limits, over-the-counter license, can hunt day and night. Any weapon? <laughs> Jeez. Any weapon? Hand grenades. Yeah. It's probably legal in Texas. You can probably pick them up at the convenience store. Talk about any weapon. I was looking at uh, pig hunts in Florida, and if they <laughs> use, and if they use hounds, they require that you use a knife that you have to get on the pig and kill it with a knife because uh, they don't want you shooting their hounds or you know when it's in a frenzy. Yeah, because the hounds will hold the pig kind of by the ears and the tail or whatever, and they don't want you flinging bullets over there, right? So they yeah. make you get over there and stab it. That's kind of crazy. That is kind of crazy. People do it though. Take like a culture yeah. down there. Good way to get demonetized. 
<laughs> yeah, I, that's a quick way of getting demonetized on YouTube. Right. Dan, uh, this guy's wife wants to know how you've made it this far as a big time social media influencer without having one of those ring lights to give yourself perfect lighting. <laughs> Have you seen them things? Those little, like you can buy them at Walmart. Right. Have you right. Seen them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's 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 funny how uh, you know these guys, uh, these young guys. I mean, they get uh, they just start getting you know into this or whatever, and often they think they're a superstar. They build some elaborate uh, you know like studio and. You know, and you look and they got like six followers. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what are you doing? You know? Yeah. It's Just have fun with it. I mean, you guys that want to do something in this, I, I mean, uh, don't push it so hard. Because what people want and the, the reason people like me is because I'm not trying. Because it's fun. Yeah. Because I'm just doing what I do and sharing it with people. Right. As soon as you start getting um, where you got to have ring lights, you're probably getting a little unrealistic for your average person. Right. Right. Well, I say that you got a ring light, Josh. No, I don't have one. <laughs> just uh, just my my lights on my thing here. Um, the big thing is, like with you, you're just more technically inclined than me. I'm, a lot of that stuff I don't even know about because I don't really research. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people use that stuff as an excuse not to do things, though. You know, they think they have to have all this crap, and if they don't have it, they can never, you know, start a YouTube channel and all that. And you really don't need much to start doing this um not much at all i mean i mean really your phone now could do anything you really need it to do for any of this stuff that's getting pretty saturated out there there's probably like eight million people that are doing deer podcast yeah it's tough um it's tough to find like new things to talk about even i mean just you, you hate to you try to find unique things and i think that's what's nice about us is we have like an audience that just wants to hear us talk sometimes or just wants to hang out. And that makes it a little easier. Well, you know what too is, I mean, we don't have to just sit here and constantly have conversations about uh, tactics and stuff neither. I mean, we can have conversations about hunting life and all the stuff that we do and yeah. we just fine. where some people just try to make it about the same subject all the time. And it's, it's just yeah, different you're people. Just, you're regurgitating information and yeah, everybody's repeating themselves. Uh, let's see here. Dan, do you think your spots get poached from people watching your YouTube channel? Absolutely. Happens all the time. Doesn't really bother me that much. I mean, obviously that's annoying. It would be annoying for everybody. But I still managed to kill big bucks. Um, You know, the spot where I killed that real big one two years ago? There's like a waiting line for that that tree now, and nobody ever hunted there before that time. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I couldn't even believe people figured out where that tree was, but they did. And they seem to figure out all of them. I'm sure that the spot where I shot the buck this year will be like that too. Um, it's a shame people are like that. I mean, the reason we do the videos is not to give you our spots. It's to teach you how to find your own. Yeah. You know, to, but people are people and some people are like that. I think the overall majority of people that watch these videos, um, whether it's Josh's channel or my channel, they're, they're watching because they legitimately are trying to become better hunters. But you, but when you get, you know, right now I think I'm going on eighty-seven thousand followers. When you have that many, there's going to be some nut nut bags. Oh yeah, the yeah. There's going to be some crazy people, and there's going to be some people that have um, um, bad morals. It just it just is what it is. And and if I want to do this, I have to accept that uh, 
that some people are going to do stuff like that and be able to take the high road and just move on and not cry about it. If there's one thing I hate, I don't know about you, Josh, but if there's one thing I hate, it's people that get on their YouTube channels and cry about what happens to them. Oh, somebody did this to me. Somebody did that to me. Uh, you know, it's just like, come on, come on, yeah. just get over. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that in the comment section. I mean, just hateful stuff or just pity mm-hmm. stuff. All right, let's let's uh, we can do a few more here. Uh, Dan, what's the average postseason scout look like for you? And how many times do you go before green up? What does it look like? It looks like a fat old man wandering through a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> I go out, uh, I don't know, probably at least once a week. I try to get out more than that. But, um, I try to get out as much as I possibly can. Um, I would get out way more than I do, except for I've dedicated a lot of my life to this youtube stuff into the um helping other people and that affects me um if i look back to my my most productive time in my life it was um in the early 90s when i had no care about anybody else in the world except for myself and just scouted all the time and hunted all the time and i would literally scout as soon as i got off of work till dark I can remember trying to push it as, you know, out of work as fast. Like I can remember leaving for lunch breaks and scouting and then coming oh, really? back. And yeah. And, uh, you know, now a lot of that's filled with, uh, you know, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got, you know, and, um, I guess some of that's that thing that we call want, how bad do you want it? I guess when I was probably 25, I wanted it more, right. you know, but, um, my want has kind of changed where I kind of want to help others. I kind of want to, you know, um, be part of a legacy to help others become better hunters and better people. So that's the direction I've went and that's going to, that's going to hurt my hunting a little bit, but I tried to at least get out once or twice a week up until, you know, um, probably the middle end of June. Yeah. Here's a good question. Who do you think I am asked in late season? Would you ever think it's better to set a stand lower on a tree to avoid being skylined? Um, right now in the snow that we have right around my house now, um, a lot of times I'm on the ground. I dress in white and hide in the bushes. Um, it just gets hard to get into a tree all the way around. Yeah. Um, there's some bird noise and all that stuff. It's pretty dead quiet out. Um, and a lot of times there's no leaf cover or anything. You, you get busted in the trees a lot. If not, when the deer comes in while you're climbing. Um, so if, if, if I can, I always prefer a tree over the ground, but, um, when we get heavy snowfall, like I have right now, if I get out anytime in the near future, it's going to be on the ground. Uh, most likely all the spots I'm looking at, I don't think I could get in a tree, but where, you know, but when I can, I do. I mean, if you, even, if you look on my site, you'll notice, um, a lot of my late season hunts are off the ground. You like a, so you wear white or snow camo or something like that. You think that helps a lot? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll tie, I'll, I'll rip up a white shirt tight around my, my hat. 
or whatever. Yeah. I'll wear white camel. Um, I buy really oversized white camel because you buy that real thin crap. Yeah, I just put and it I'll over, put it over my, like my osseo stuff or whatever that you got yeah. for cold weather. Warm season, you know? yeah. When it's something warm. Yeah. Um, that osseo stuff uh, um, that you got me hooked up with, um, I picked up their uh, their winter gear. Yeah, their late season stuff. Man, uh, this Sub Zero stuff. I get out in that stuff and I'm I'm toasty. Yeah, <laughs> like my face and my yeah, fingers. I, never... I, I can't wear gloves while I shoot. But... Right. Yeah, I, I've heard many people say that late season stuff. I have a set of. I didn't get to use it this year. I didn't. I never never got super cold during deer season when I was hunting. So, but I haven't got to test it. But I've heard good things about it. Um, Mike asked if we ever seen a deer eat meat. There was one in um, Milwaukee that uh, somebody got film of on the lakefront eating fish, and then mm. another one that was uh, that ate baby birds. I don't yep. remember where that was. I've seen that one that too. Girl thing, yeah. Other than well, that, I haven't. Seen. Yeah, I wonder what makes them do that. I wonder if there's like some kind of crave or some kind of nutrition they're missing, or you know, I mean, you don't yeah. hear it very often, but I think they will. I think if. Not a lot. And I mean, if you look no. at human society, we got our Jeffrey Dahmers and stuff. That's Jeffrey yeah, Dahmer. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I, uh, I had a, 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 like the a skeleton of a big bear that after I picked all the meat off of it and I, I put it in, a, in the backyard in the swampy area of my, my property mm-hmm. and put a trail camera over it. And I was going to see what kind of predators I got to come in. I got a ton of deer that kept coming up and smelling it. Now, they weren't eating it, but why huh. would they walk up and smell it? I mean, there wasn't deer trails there or anything, but the whole bunch of deer came into that dead bear. Hmm. That's interesting. That yeah. Must be just curiosity or something. I don't know. Um, Dan, do you know about this Alexander Buck situation? Have you guys heard about this? I don't know the most recent stuff. Um, last I heard, he was uh, he was uh, he pled guilty to um, not having signed permission, and I don't know anything more than that. Um, I really don't care. I, I hope he's uh, if, right. it, if he hasn't been found guilty, I hope he's not, and I hope he's found innocent. But I'll always give somebody the um, benefit of the doubt until something's proven, because I've seen so many times when. Um, law officials uh target people because they're trophy hunters i mean i've been on the bad end of that where you shoot a big buck and they don't believe there's any way a guy can do that a couple of years in a row you know or you know and they just think that you're a poacher because you shoot big bucks yeah um i i mean there's a lot of things that make me that make me raise an eyebrow to them um but if you're just going based off of what he said in a podcast being suspicious or something people lie on podcasts because they don't even i do i'll I'll say something to throw people off on where I was hunting or something yeah. just because you don't want people targeting your areas and stuff. So I, I wouldn't base what he said solely on, you know, unless he said something really incriminating, I would want the, um, if it were me, I would want, uh, the benefit of the doubt till it's proven to otherwise in court. Yeah. So, um, but I haven't heard anything else on it. So yeah, I haven't either. Um, he, he, so we we talked about this a while, or well, whatever it was, a couple of weeks ago, and I said the same thing you did. I'm like, man, people need to lay off this kid until he's something actually happens. You know, like people were just on the internet, just 
just like calling him a poacher and everything else. And it's like, he might be, but he also might not be, you know, and he actually, he must've listened to it. And he, he like messaged me on Instagram. Like, thank you for saying that. He's like, not very many YouTubers are saying that they're, you know, doing the opposite, like getting the click, clickbaity thing, you know, um, mashing him. He, he was, I mean, I kind of, I mean, I, I feel sorry for him in a way. I mean, um, if he did or didn't do it, I, you know, who knows? That's that's to be determined, I guess. Yeah, who knows even what they're exactly accusing him? What I saw, um, nobody knows. From the game department was they they had him for not having written permission because it's a, required by law in that state. But he had permission. Yeah, it's a sister that property. Sound right. Yeah, it doesn't even sound right. But I don't have written permission for my private here like it's just a place we've been hunting forever you know like it's not i don't have technically a written like contract or anything i mean no according according to the law there you have to have it yeah Yeah, so right i don't know what he did or what he's accused of but uh i don't know either the law can be pretty aggressive towards people that they don't like or they think you know did something wrong and uh i sure wouldn't want people pointing fingers at, at me no it's tough that's man if you ever kill a 230 inch uh typical or 220 inch typical deer you better start calling people before you <laughs> before you do you know, anything you know, uh, i've seen some shows by some pretty well-known people who say who say that if you shoot a world-class deer what you're supposed to do is call the warden have them come out and look at everything uh have the warden check the tree you're in check where you shot stuff make sure everything's legit so that you have that on your side because you're going to get accused and, oh yeah. Uh, oh, it's a shame if we, you have to do that. But uh, a lot of your big names in hunting claim that you better do that if you don't want to get uh, railroaded. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean people people do stupid things for for big deer. I know it's like, but yeah, but people also get super jealous about big deer and they do stupid things on the other end. You know. Um, I can tell you one thing with the accusations I got this year on the buck I shot. Yeah. They were pretty damning, except for I shot the buck on film. Right. I'm pretty right. glad I shot that buck on film. I yeah. recorded where yeah. it dropped and everything. I'm pretty glad I have that stuff on film. I'll tell you that because yeah. I might be in the same situation he's in, if not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One more here. Jay Bizzle. What's your plans for season? You're going to work on anything new this, this coming season? Oh. My plans for season? Yeah. Where I'm gonna hunt. Well, I think uh, you just like this next coming year. Is you got any plans or any any anything you're gonna work on? Well, I drew bear um for Wisconsin and I uh got uh first week for Turkey, which is important because I don't have Dave's land to fall on anymore. Yeah. Um our, our turkey land out here on public just gets pounded. So the opening week is is a pretty good time for him to have. Um, and as far as uh, I'm still working on uh, new products and stuff secretly. Um, and uh, I'm going to do a lot of scouting, a lot of looking around, and uh, hoping to draw Kansas this year. Um, other than that, it's just another year. Yep. A lot of time between now and then. <laughs> You guys are still hunting this year or last year, whatever you want to say. I might even, uh, I might even go out and shoot another deer yet. There you um, go. We'll see. 
let's answer this last question here. This is a good one. Hunt better. He, he asked, uh, what's the biggest mental hurdle for most guys when chasing mature deer? Uh, believing in themselves, probably. I think there's, uh, 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 if a guy hasn't, um, had much success, I think he's always got this, um, thing in his mind that he's, uh, not, he's doing something wrong and that he's in the wrong spot and, and, uh, he's in an internal struggle. I think you need success to get confidence. There you go. It's a good one to end on. Thanks for getting on tonight, Dan. Yeah, no problem. I linked the Beast Hunting Beast YouTube channel below and um, go check it out if you guys haven't already. I know most of you on here um, know who Dan is, but either way, go give it a subscribe and um, yeah, we'll talk to you y'all later. See ya. See ya.